Welcome to Deep Dive Coaching for Creatives with me, Coach Cammie. In each episode, I'll be covering the basics of deep inner work, the hardest and most important work you can possibly do for yourself. I have been where you are, stuck with self-limiting beliefs and an inner critic on overdrive and no idea how to get past them. I've done this work on myself, for myself. I know how hard it is, but I want to make it easier for you and help you become your best self. You deserve it. My guest for this episode is my good friend, Jessica Best, who just started her own digital marketing agency called Better Ave. I'm so excited for you to meet Jessica. We talk about perfectionism, the ramifications of growing up with the last name Best, and the gifts of learning something new. Be sure to listen to the end for Jessica's amazingly simple takeaway. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. All right, we are just going to jump right in. Tell me, how have your self-limiting beliefs stopped you in the past? I would say the first time I realized I was out over my skis a little bit, and this is one of my favorite maybe moments in my life, was when I was um, studying abroad in France, and they they drop 30 kids from different cities, arrive in Paris with like two days to get to know each other before we all go to the Western region. Um, Rennes was where I studied for a semester. And we're sitting in this, like the back patio of this coffee shop or this cafe uh, with 30 students and a handout. And the program director gives us the handout and he, it's got, you know, I don't know, hundred words on it. Pick out the words that you think are important for your semester, to be successful at your semester abroad. So everybody tell me what words and there's adventurousness and there's tolerance and everybody's shouting them out. I think it's quiet after the first five or six, you know, the ones everybody probably finds. And I go, failure. And he goes, yes. How did you get that one? No one ever says that one when we do this exercise. And I said, because it will be the hardest for me to accept. And he goes, you have to get it in your head that you won't be good at everything here. You are set back by the pure nature of this being your second language. And you will realize there are things that you take for granted or things that were very easy for you, like a dinner table conversation. I found in about a week that the best people at a dinner table for me to have a conversation with were the kids because that's how I talked. (laughs) (laughs) And that's hard for, I'm a very loquacious person. I, I, I value being able to clearly communicate and boy, Misconjugating a verb is not something that I would feel comfortable with in English, and I just had to let it go. I had to just accept that I was going to little fail for a whole semester before I got better at, at, at doing the thing. Fast forward a few years, I have lots of things. Like I said, I know what I'm good at, gosh darn it. But then I would see these, these new arenas that I was curious about, and I'd be like, ah, somebody's good at that already. So my version of... I was letting it stop me was I'm, I'm looking at that and thinking somebody's already become the best at that. I do this really well. I'm 25, not dead. So thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> I stopped, I stopped myself in my tracks and I realized if I'm not, if it's not hard, I'm probably not getting, getting, I'm not growing. I'm not getting anything new out of this. So I had to, I had to teach myself that it was okay not to be the best at something if I was okay with learning something new, if I was excited about learning something new. And to me, that was where the the fear really takes hold, right? Is, oh gosh, you know, I I know email really well, but 
You asked me a question about SEO. Um, let me research that and get back to you. Um, I, I had this area where in order to get an opportunity to do something, especially in the marketing world, sometimes you have to have done it. So the first time you do it, you're doing it. And it's not that you're not admitting that you haven't done it before, <laughs> but you're kind of you're kind of presenting like, don't worry, it will get done well. I might not show you what the kitchen looks like. Yes. <laughs> while I'm working on it. But th that's where, to me, the feeling of, oh, God, somebody else would have just had this done in 15 minutes. And that comparison of not being the best at something yet really would slow me down a lot of cases. And I, I still struggle with that, frankly, because there it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm not 25 anymore. Mm -hmm. And when you're really good at a few things, it's hard to remember that there's a whole world of other things that you could get good at or that you could at least try. Mm -hmm. um, last example, go back to personal life things. Uh, a friend of mine gosh, two years ago, three years ago, um, her and her partner love rock climbing. I mean, all, but in this case, indoor rock climbing. And she was like, you know, happy hour on Friday. Do you want to go rock climbing instead of sit down and have beers? And I was like, I have no idea. What does that entail? Like, what does that mean? Um, well, you get gear and shoes and you climb up a wall. And I'm like, I don't have gear and shoes. No, no, they, they give you that. Do I have to learn how to do Like, do I need like lessons? Like, do you, you just let me climb a wall? Like, what if I fall? <laughs> <laughs> so we go, uh, they do in fact give you a, a tour and they kind of give you the clues to how the systems work. They have a system there called uh, an auto belay and you hook yourself in and you have to climb up a wall knowing that when you're done climbing the wall, you're just going to fall backwards and the belay is going to ease you to the ground. All of this is new and hard and strange. And, and by the way, hard, like, if you've ever even considered rock climbing, there's a three-story wall with little nubbins in it, and you have to move your body up. It is not an easy thing to be a first-timer at. So I go, I loved it. I don't know the first time I had tried something new before that in, in a year, but I loved it. I take people all the time. I love taking new people to do this because it's hard. Because it's hard. Because it's so different from the things that we ask ourselves to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just, I love it. So that's kind of been my little, my three-step process, I guess, to get me here is um, it's okay if you're bad at rock climbing, you shouldn't probably be good at that without giving it a go first. And it's also okay if you try things in your job that you might not be good at. But, yeah. you know, there's resources. You can ask somebody. Yeah. You can figure out how to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I love those examples. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Uh-huh. That one's easy. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. And not in the cute way. I've said this before to people. They're like, you know, you have a little perfectionism. And I was like, oh, it's not... It's not a small case. I wouldn't say that this is a perfectionism, like how it's cute in interviews where they're like, what's your biggest flaw? And you go, oh, I'm a perfectionist. You know, I just can't leave something until it's done right. That's cute perfectionism. You have just bragged on yourself that you have a quality of excellence. I have the kind of perfectionism where you like, you know, when you talk to a dog and you're like, leave it, put it down, leave it. I need that. <laughs> I, I spend more time than I can get the benefit back from something in some cases. And so I recognize that I, I have to do the done is better than perfect a lot. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you recognize that your perfectionism was holding you back? Ooh, um, 
I would like to say forever, but that's not true. In my 20s, I loved my perfectionism because I also ascribe it to my desire for excellence. And I don't think that I'm willing to let that wane in order to work on not needing it to be perfect. It still has to be great. And I think that's where I had to find the line, right? Um, I would say I realized probably the first time I had to delegate things to other people and I was like, oh boy, okay. So let's do it that your way, what you're doing, do it that way. And then we'll come back and we'll work on it together. And it, I had to let go. Like I, I realized in saying out loud to another person, the things that I would have been inherently saying to myself, you're, you're now just being unkind. Like that's just not a necessary level <laughs> of critique. And it wasn't until I had to give that level of critique to somebody else that I was like, gosh, that is just, boy, that's a little insane, isn't it? I think that's probably too, let's just, it is great work. Let's, let's keep it there. Is it, is it only the one right way or is it actually, that's pretty, that's pretty great work. Let's go that direction. How did you get to that point? I had an incredible employee. Oh, wildly, wildly patient with me and took all of my feedback, even the over-the-top unnecessary amounts. And uh, she had a, she had a absolute skill for excellence. And it wasn't until I realized I'm giving her feedback, like she's done things I haven't thought of. She is excellent all on her own, right? I'm giving her feedback on things because it's the way that I would have done it. And now it doesn't feel like perfectionism. It feels like it was obvious that I didn't need to give that feedback to another person. I might have done it differently myself. I might have still stretched myself one more round of revisions if I was doing it myself, but it just isn't necessary to put that on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's still room for you to grow out of that perfectionism mindset? Or do you think you're, you're kind of happy where it is right now? No. Do you know what's funny? I feel like I'm making a lot of this about age and it's not, except for that I can tell that how worked up I get about things by necessity has changed significantly over time by necessity. Cammie, like this is not, there are things that one should not care much about that I decided at 25, I care very much about. Um, And it just isn't, that isn't really a, a, a good longevity plan. And so I think the, the more history, the more maturity I gain, the more I realize those things are actually worth it and not worth it. And I think that to me means I've definitely got some room to grow in letting things go. Again, I don't think that I'm ever going to be a person that's like, that's a B, that's good enough. I'm not a good enough person. The, the options are not perfectionism or bad. Like, <laughs> there's, there's, it's, it's obvious that perfectionism is on a scale of one to five, it needs to be a six. Just come back to a five, girl. Just bring it into a five. So I think for me, there is some work still to do to understand that there are probably still some things I could let go of. Can you give me an example of when you said things that you really needed to let go of? Oh, my God. Because sometimes people think, oh, I'm not a perfectionist. But when they hear the example, they think, oh, shit, maybe I am. Yeah, boy. I just thought of 10 examples. So that's a problem. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a perfect example is the work that I'm doing now. I'm working on an email marketing audit for a client. And there's this beautiful defined box of the number of hours that I have in this package. This is one of my coping mechanisms, not to belittle coping mechanisms, but it's one of the the mechanisms I've used to realize 
either you can decide you're done or the time can run out. So I do these email marketing audits and I'm working with a super sharp agency, hundreds of emails here, hundreds of emails to review, maybe a thousand emails to review. So I start methodically opening every email to document for them which ones needed to be checked, which ones needed to be changed. And I caught myself after like 30 minutes of doing this, I was like, remember that you only have like four hours of time left in this audit. I can't spend four hours doing that level of work when a, that's not what they've paid me to do. I mean, yeah. it's not even perfectionism, right? Like that you're getting into, they're, you're into the weeds then. I'm in the weeds so far that I can't see the plane. I can't give them good, big feedback. If I spend my time on that level of minutia, I found the problem, identify the problem and have them do the work to go find every instance of the issue. And so I had to rein myself back. I had to like, because to me, my little, my little perfectionist voice on one shoulder goes, yes, but they did engage you to audit their program and to give them the full list of everything that needs to change feels like, yeah, that feels like, that feels like the, the product. And I think that that's, you know, again, as I mature, it's like, yeah, but I got hundred thousand dollar ideas in this thing. I got things that are going to make their business significant amounts of money if, and, and fairly low effort. This is something that is medium effort, actually, because there's so many of them it's, that could be uh, disparate, that that's going to have to be something that they decide the value of or that they continue the work on because it's something that they would have to change. I'm not going to go through and make the changes either. I'm just making a list of the changes. And I just thought, okay, we got to stop. I got to stop. <laughs> uh, that one's too much. I'm doing someone else's work, which is a perfectionism mm-hmm. system, or I'm doing a, an administrative task that has no inherent value because the administrative task doesn't count. If I'm not making the change, they will also have to touch every single email to make the change. So I'm now doing extra work. I'm now doing an administrative task because it feels complete, because it feels holistic, yeah. because it feels satisfying to have done it what I would consider right mm-hmm. and what most people would think is maybe a little overkill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think that perfectionism became part of you? Do you remember experiencing it as a kid at all? Yes. Uh Mine may be a little different. I grew up with the last name Best, and it is an absolute family treasure to be perfectionists. Okay. My entire family has run a business. Uh, Me going out on my own this year is the first time I've ever even resembled that. But my, both of my parents have owned their own business. My sister, who's younger than me, has started a business. My father's parents uh, ran a Tupperware distributorship called Best Friend Tupperware because Mr. Best and Mr. Friend started a Tupperware distributorship. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we've always had that level of expectation, you know, three generations back. So for me saying it started when I was a kid is not even fair. I mean, this is totally my family's fault. (laughs) So this is, yeah, generational. Definitely. Did you ever find yourself at some point completely rebelling against it or have you always kind of embraced it? No. Um, I think I, this is how I know I'm, I'm excellence even without perfection. The fifth grade report card, you know, one of the ones that doesn't matter. I brought home and it was like a midterm report card and I had gotten a couple of B's. And at the time I was like, yeah, everybody gets B's. That's, that's a grade. 
And I didn't think anything of it, right? Like I didn't, I didn't, I had not yet acknowledged that I was an achiever. Uh, and I brought it home and my father, who sidebar was a C student. I did not <laughs> find out until after this conversation. Okay. My father shows me this report card and is like, what is this? And I was like, it's a report card. And he's like, why do you have B's? What do we need to be doing differently? I was like, dad, it's a B, not an F. And he goes, yeah, but you're not a B student. Ooh. And it's true. I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not. I don't feel like that has had a negative impact on my life. It's true. He was pointing out to me that it was the effort that was missing, not the ability. And I was dividing my focus across things that I thought were fun or cool or whatever, because I was 10, 12, I don't Mm -hmm. know, fifth grade. And, And I think that that to me, I was like, oh, you're right. I actually can do both. I've, by the way, since gotten one other B in my life and it was well-earned my semester abroad. I got plenty of B's in fact, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because all of my classes were in French and I took weekends to travel around France and I have zero regrets. So I think for me, that moment was him pointing out to me, this is fifth grade, not senior year of college. Like, why are you getting B's? And I thought, oh, no, that's actually true. You're right. I just didn't do the thing. Hmm. And and I, I came to him later. I actually went back to him at one point because I told my mom this, or maybe it was his mom. I think I told my grandmother this. And she goes, well, that's rich. Your father never got better than a C. And I was like, because perfectionism shows up in the area that you care about, right? He was a theater guy. He he was a perfectionist in his areas. You, he, she goes, your dad, you know, was a C student. And so I went back to my dad and was like, excuse me, sir, how dare you? How very dare you? And he goes, I know I was a C student. I'm telling you, I can, I can see that you could do better because I wasn't in school. That wasn't my jam. That wasn't my lane. And, and it is for me, education and, and numbers and data and learning absolutely was my thing. And so he was right. Of course, parents are <laughs> annoyingly right. <laughs> <sighs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for going down that little perfectionism rabbit hole with me. Of course. I love to be able to touch on the things that might be holding somebody back. The things mm-hmm. that might be propelling you forward might be the same thing. Mm. That is very likely. I think what keeps me going forward is, and what I hope other people can take away from this is I'm really encouraged to go forward by the things that I didn't think I could do before. And it turns out I could. Like rock climbing. Like rock climbing. <laughs> like like I, I, these things that I didn't conceive of that when I was sitting in the room, it all kind of washed over me. And I was like, I am going to just sit here and take notes. And someone is going to explain this to me one-on-one after the meeting. And it turns out I can do that. It turns out that I love doing that. And so I think when I get that little inkling of like, Ooh, is that my lane? Do I do that? A, I change the question. Do I want to know how to do that? Is that fun for me? Does that light me up? Is that something that I would like to to know how to do? That question being a yes, then we can get to, ooh, can I do that? To be clear, there are still some no's to that. I've gone rock climbing indoors with a like a system strapping me in for safety. I am not going to go free climbing on an upside down backwards mountain like the guy in the movie that I would I can't watch. Like I can't even watch the movie, let alone can I do the thing. Like there's still a number of things that like we didn't pass the do I want to test. <laughs> yes. But there are some things that I feel like if you think of the big thing that you can't do, 
is there a part of that thing that you can do and want to learn how to do? So all those things that I couldn't do before, well, then I, then I did them for a while. Like remembering that you are capable of learning how to do things and that as a person who is good at something, you can probably learn to be good at other things. Like that's part of my, my confidence as part of my process of going into something is, yeah, I can probably do that. But it doesn't that, mean I don't get those moments where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I remember speaking for the Digital Women of Kansas City group like four years ago, something like that. And they asked me to speak on different topics. So I speak all over the country, all over the world, but about email marketing, about data-driven marketing. And Digital Women was asking me to speak about something that was more personal to me, something about my personal development. And I remember they said, they said I could pick my topic. It just isn't, this isn't like a teaching moment. This isn't like a lecture, right? This isn't, we're not learning about your craft. Tell me about you. And I got stage fright for the first time in years. I got that little, and, and I don't even know that I would call it imposter syndrome. It was more like, oh, is this valuable? Like, I'm about to kind of put a diary out on stage. Like, yeah, I just felt like the certainty of, of what I had to offer making an impact wasn't there in the mm-hmm. same way that it had been for other things. And yeah, it's a new area when, when we feel the edges of our comfort zone and we're pushing up against them, they remind us that they're there. Yeah. And that was, that was an edge for me. And I think I might've even said that in the presentation, I might've even admitted like, I am not really afraid of being on stage, but it's because I, I use the expertise that I have as what's really deserving of the spotlight. And so when I really get up and I show me, well, that's, boy, <laughs> that's a whole different thing, right? Like this is not, if you have feedback about this, th- that is personal. You know, somebody gives you feedback about a talk and you would know this, right? It can be about the talk without being about you. That talk, that link, that topic, that case study, that uh, example that you gave doesn't have anything to do with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good feedback. I actually, in a room full of marketers, I love that kind of feedback because I want to make sure that what I'm offering does have value, Uh but I don't crumble under that. That's not me. It's the speech. This was not that. (laughs) This was me being very vulnerable about something that was important to me in a room full of, by the way, some of the most supportive people, women you'll ever meet in your life. There was no reason to be nervous at all. And I, I just, it felt so different to feel like what I was presenting was so personal to me and so authentically me that it would have been really hard for that one to fail. It would have been, it would have felt worse for that one to be a failure. And so that was the Mm -hmm. first time that fear of quote unquote failure got into me a little bit. I feel like. Yeah. But I bet if somebody asked you to, to talk about that again, that you could, you could say, Oh yeah, I could do that. That your comfort zone has grown enough to incorporate that. That's right. And do you want to know the topic of the presentation? Of course I want to know the topic of the presentation. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Accepting <laughs> <laughs> uh, praise and seven more ways to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And one of the points in it is, you know, people will compliment you. And, and I think potentially um, Everyone has a little bit of this, but I think Midwesterners have a little bit more and maybe women in the Midwest have it a little bit more that when you get a compliment, you start to explain like, I love your skirt. Oh, thanks. I got it. I mean, 
We, yeah, yes, I actually do want to know where you got your skirt. However, you can start by accepting the praise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. This is my favorite skirt, right? But then the next thing is try something. When was the last time you were uncomfortable? Because you were legitimately outside your company. When was the last time you climbed a wall? <laughs> you are climbing, right? Not, not, not BuzzFeed video new, not like how to mend a porcelain plate using milk in your refrigerator. Not, not that kind of new, not somebody else told me something and I thought I'd try it new. Something new, learn something hard, be bad at something, right? Being bad at something definitely tests how well your inner critic is tamed or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That little voice you were talking about earlier, the one that says, you know, yeah, this is, mm. but understanding that this is information, it's data, and and I get to choose to act on that or ignore that, depending on if if that information is valuable to me, if it's useful, if it's uh, if it serves me, or to just go, you know what, and treat that part of yourself like a neurotic auntie or or grandpa or something oh honey thank you so much for that information but it's 60 degrees outside I don't need to wear a scarf Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna freeze or if I fail it'll be on my terms and and it'll be okay or I'm gonna try this new thing and yes it'll be hard and it'll be okay right it will be okay Mm -hmm. if that was the only part of this conversation somebody remembers it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Failing isn't dying. Yeah. And if you're not failing at something, you may not be trying very hard. Yeah. It will be okay. Yeah. From the from the perfectionist's mouth to God's ears, it will be okay. <laughs> you will be okay. It will be okay. Just that. Like if you just take that away. Mm-hmm. That is such a an, a simple, beautiful leave behind. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to learn more about Jessica, you can check out her LinkedIn profile or Better Av on LinkedIn and her website is coming soon. Once it's live, I will post the link. You can also find out about Jessica speaking at jessica.best. For more good juju, visit cami.coach, C-A-M-I dot coach.